Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Let's put up the first slide. No. Apostolic and prophetic foundations uh, is the name of what I want to talk about today. Um, and I'm going to unpack that. So... And I'm going, to, I'm going to spend most of my time unpacking the phrase and spend a tiny bit of time at the end saying what it means. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going. But in 1986, okay, I was a 20-year-old student living in Wimbledon. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Please say, you hardly look at a day older, Rodney. <laughs> I was at University of Wimbledon, Roehampton, um, we, we almost drove past my old flat today on our way here, which always brings back little memories. Oh, oh isn't it lovely? Um, and then one evening I went to my uh, local Baptist church and there's a guy called Terry Virgo. <clears throat> some of you would have heard of Terry Virgo, maybe some of you haven't heard of Terry Virgo. It doesn't matter. A guy called Terry Virgo, he came to speak on the apostolic and prophetic foundations of the church. Okay? And this is the thing, right? As I listened, I didn't understand what he was talking about. I'll be totally honest with you. I've never told him this. Um, he's talking about apostolic prophetic. I don't know what he's talking about. It's, it goes over my head. Okay? But something gripped me. God gripped me with something. And what happened is I, I, I now realise I developed a love for the church. Even though I didn't understand what he's talking about, I did, this is not a good sell for the preach, is it? Don't worry, you will understand. Um, but, but just in case you don't, this covers you as well. Uh, I didn't understand what he was talking about, and yet I felt gripped. And I love for the church. And what happened is a seed was planted in my heart. And I knew that one day I would be involved in these apostolic and prophetic foundations, whatever they were. Do you know what? That day has come today. There we go. Well done. That day has come today. So I'm hoping that I can communicate well what this is all about and give you a basic understanding of this. But even if you don't fully grasp it, let the Holy Spirit give you a passion for the church and plant a seed in your heart. It's interesting how God can do something in your heart even when you don't quite know what it is that he's doing. Okay? So I want you to all be active in this. So let's all stand. We're going to pray. Can you all stand together? Put your hand on your heart or somewhere in that kind of area. Um, I'm just going to pray. Jesus, as, as I share what I've got to share today, Lord, I pray. I do pray we will understand with our minds. <laughs> um, I would rather speak five intelligible words. I do pray I would, uh, we would understand it. But I pray more important than understanding in our minds is a seed planted in our heart, is a passion in our heart for the local church, is a passion in our heart for what you are building around the world. So, Lord, I pray seeds will be planted. I pray for significance this morning. In the words I say, Holy Spirit, take hold of them. Take hold of them and shoot them as arrows into our hearts. That we may get a bigger picture and understand something bigger. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can sit down. Uh, okay. Apostolic and prophetic foundations. So I'm going to unpack the phrase. That's important, isn't it? What does apostolic and prophetic foundations mean? What does it mean? Well, let's unpack this phrase. First of all, we'll unpack the word foundation. <clears throat> okay? And this really should be the easiest word of the three to understand. Now, a foundation, here's a definition for it. It's the lowest load-bearing part of a building which is built below ground. Not the building's built below ground, the, the foundation built below ground. So this building has a foundation. Um, can't see it. Look out the window, you can't see it. It's got a foundation. If it didn't have a foundation, <clears throat> I'm not sure I'd want to be here because it could fall down at any moment. Um, so before you build the walls of a building, before you put in the services and have all the lights and the plumbing or whatever you have, before you do any of that, you start with a foundation. You start with a foundation. Now, foundation is not glamorous, okay? You can't see it. Once it's there, it's gone. It's then built on. It's not glamorous. But once it's laid... Um, it's solid and dependable. It should be. <laughs> a foundation should be solid and dependable. I once saw in Worthing, I was going along the seafront, and, and near to the beach, of course, it's all a bit, you know, you're, you're very close to sea level and all of that. And I remember seeing this machine putting in these huge metal rods in the ground. They're called piles, I think they're called piles, aren't they? And, and they were going down and down. I couldn't believe it. But then I thought, yeah, there's a shingle beach, there's the sand, there's all the wind of the coast. Uh, we get a lot of wind on the coast. Um, if you're into windsurfing, it's great. Um, and, um, and I realized to build a building, you've got to go a long way down. And it's amazing when you see it, but most people who then occupy the building have no idea about the size of these things that went in. And what a foundation does, if it's solid and dependable, it will enable you to build a glorious structure above ground. We love talking about the glorious church as a phrase sometimes we use. Churches that like displaying the glory of God. Actually, what's underneath is really important. This is what Peter wrote. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And so as we build the church, we're building a spiritual house. So we're not talking about a physical church building. We're talking about a spiritual house. And therefore, the depth, the extent, the soundness of the foundations beneath the surface will determine the shape and size of the spiritual house. Now you think, okay, Rodney, this is all a bit theoretical. Yes, okay, we get it. But actually, you know, I'm more interested in being in the worship band or I'm more interested in, you know, doing the children's work. I hope you are very interested in all those things, doing the children's work, serving the tinkle. <clears throat> That's all important. But they're more like the services. Do you know what? Some years ago, I was working with churches in Albania. I, 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 it's still the country I've been to the most <clears throat> um, overseas. And you know what? I observe something interesting. I, 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 I learn a lot just from observing. I look and I, and I think, what's going on there? Why is that happening? What's going on there? And I was observing the churches. And I observed that a number of churches, 
seemed to happen all the time. They grew to a certain size, okay? Just like the walls started to go up. They grew to a certain size, and then we had the inevitable disagreement and split, and the church split. And it happened quite a lot. It, and that's what got my attention. If it happens once, you think, oh yeah, some churches do that. If it happens twice, oh, okay. It happens three times, four times, you think, hang on a minute, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong. <clears throat> Why do they grow? Then they argue, and boy, boy when Albanians argue, do they argue? <clears throat> you don't want to be in the way when they argue. We saw an argument in the street once, we go, whoa, we've got to get away from that. The guns could come out. But anyway. Um, <laughs> And the problem is their foundation. That's the problem. Their foundation was weak and couldn't support much growth before cracks appeared. And so when churches split, you've got to ask a question about foundations. Now, there may be other questions to ask. It could be all sorts of things and reasons. But you've got to ask that question. Um, because these churches, and I, I did do a bit of research and chat to a lot of people about it, they were not building on the rock of grace. They were building on the sand of cultural individualism and legalism. And that wasn't a good foundation. And so they grew a bit, then they split. And they grew and they split. And so the nation was full of small, lively, charismatic churches that never really grew. They kept multiplying lots and lots of small churches. So that's foundations. <clears throat> so foundations are important. I think we can I kind of understand that concept. I can't stress uh, enough how important that is. So then let's take the next phrase. We'll start by taking it together. Apostolic and prophetic. So we're talking about apostolic and prophetic foundations. <clears throat> so what on earth does that mean? Okay. So in Ephesians 4, <clears throat> Paul lists five people gifts that the risen Christ has given to the church. So Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. I do apologise. I'm sure Daniel will tell me off immensely for this. I oscillate between the NIV and the ESV. But I have told you which one every time on the screen. <coughs> um, sorry, just a little aside. Um, there's nothing in my notes. I've learned it's really good to move between versions of the Bible because you can end up with a favourite, but... The trouble is, if you really have a favourite, you then stick by every word of the favourite, because it's the word of God, isn't it? <clears throat> but actually, sometimes when you, when, you, when you read a word, and then in another version, it's got a completely different word, another version, and when they have different words, the diff the all the different versions have a slightly different word, you realise they're struggling to actually interpret that word from the original. And that's when it's worth looking into it a bit more. Um, Anyway, that's, that's, that's my little bit for you, my little bit of, um, <coughs> I don't know, whatever you call that. So anyway, let's go back to the notes, otherwise we'll be here all day. So, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature. <clears throat> I mean, he makes it sound so simple. <laughs> it's actually a really hard thing. <clears throat> so, there's our foundation passage, really, for apostolic and prophetic. So, what is an apostle? So, <clears throat> let me take you to the Greek. <clears throat> Classical Greek, according to Bayer's lexicon. And this is what it says. Greek historians use the term apostle to describe an admiral over a fleet of ships 
sent out by a king to discover, explore, conquer and establish the king's government in new territories. And so the Bible has taken an existing Greek word, apostle, and reapplied it to the advance of God's kingdom. Now, yesterday, Sue and I were in Petworth House in Sussex, very old, ancient house. We often go there, especially on a rainy afternoon, because you can go inside. And, um, and, and suddenly, while I was reading something, and it reminded me of this, and it was a little piece about Walter Raleigh. And how Walter Raleigh had been sent by Queen Elizabeth I to go and explore new unchristian lands. And, you know, I mean, we can debate, you know, the, the pros and cons of British history <laughs> and all of that, because there's a lot of murky stuff to do with it. But Walter Raleigh, he was kind of acting like an apostle. Because Queen Elizabeth was saying, go and explore the new world. Go and find out these places where, which are not Christian, which are unchristianized. So he's going and he's exploring and, and, you know, he's kind of acting a bit like that. So um, an apostle for us, okay, so just retranslating that, that Greek meaning, an apostle for us is sent by King Jesus to conquer new lands and establish the rule and reign of God there. It's the same as the cultural mandate given to Adam and Eve. This is what it says in Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful, God's speaking to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, the birds, the animals and all that. It's the same thing coming through again. So, in Greek history, an apostle was not an individual captain of one ship but an admiral over a fleet of ships, and they look to his leadership. So they're a fleet because there's somebody in charge of the fleet. So each ship is captained itself, has its own, I don't understand ships, so I can't really go into it, um, you know, a captain, I, I don't know, all the, different, all the different people that are in there. Um, but they're looking to the admiral, that, that the admiral makes them a fleet. Without the admiral, they're just individual ships. Okay. Without the apostle, we're just individual churches. We look to the apostle, who's like the fleet admiral, and we look to him to guide us, to direct us, that we're on a mission together. Because the fleet are going together. They're going together to, because they're sent by the king, and they're going to, um, to establish the king's rule in new lands. And so together as churches, under the, under the admiral apostolic admiral figure we are going together with the gospel to the ends of the earth that's how it kind of plays out but for us <coughs> apostles are also fathers and that's a really important word in the New Testament fathers this is what elders are elders are fathers why do we have elders in the church because they father the church they bring that protection that love that release that raising of sons and daughters, all that sort of thing. And apostles are fathers. They're fathers to churches. And, and helping churches to establish healthy, good foundations. And also being concerned for the ongoing care. But they also bring individual ships like churches together to form part of a bigger fleet. So they're linking churches together under their apostleship and bringing them into the bigger mission of God to reach the ends of the earth 
with the gospel. So, <clears throat> I'm not going to do a big thing about are, are there apostles today. I'm just going to say yes, there are. <laughs> Let me go into that. Um, uh, if you want to read about that, there's a great book here, Fathering Leaders, Motivating Mission by Dave Devonish. I would recommend that to you. I'm going to quote this to you uh, a couple of times soon. Um, uh, he goes into other apostles today, so I'll let you read that to figure it out. In Reads Beyond, we acknowledge apostles, <clears throat> we recognise them. Two apostles that I think you'll know very well were Steve Oliver, you were talking about earlier, um, kind of like the father of the church, I guess, really, um, in terms of, you know, helping to establish with Daniel right at the beginning. Uh, and being among you uh, for, for however long that was, a few years. But also then when you had your away day, a weekend away, you had food Aquina. He's also a recognised apostle uh, in our movement. Those are two apostles, for instance, in our movement. Okay, so let's move on to prophet. What is a prophet? Um, <clears throat> this is a very complicated question. I'm probably going to disappoint you with my answer. Um, okay, let me tell you what prophets are not. Prophets are not just people who prophesy a lot. I just want to say that that's a common misunderstanding. You get people prophesying, oh, they must be a prophet. No, that doesn't equate in the slightest. I can give you another talk on this another time, to be honest. It's quite, there's a lot more to it than that. Nor are they carryovers from the Old Testament. Okay? There's a problem with prophet, the word prophet, because um, the problem is you get prophets in the Testament and prophets in the New Testament. Now we have got prophets in the Old because we just looked at the Greek, but but actually the Bible doesn't really. I'm sorry, apostle. The Bible doesn't really use apostle in the way that it's used in the New Testament. Um, neither neither any of the other four uh, other five Ephesians four uh, words. But prophet is. It's used there and there. And there's a misunderstanding that carries over from one covenant to another. It doesn't. Okay. Prophet. The prophet. Of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. He is our prophet. Um, he's the great prophet. He's the one that, that came after Moses, that Moses said, you know, one will be raised up from among your brothers, follow him, um, listen to him. And so Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophet and he brings it to a close as he brings the covenant to a close. And then there is a new covenant, which I'm sure you know about. And in the new covenant, the risen Lord Jesus gives apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, which is what we read. So it's a new prophet. It's not the same. One stopped, another starts. Our problem is because the word carries over, we carry over the, a lot of the Old Testament idea of prophet. And we end up with a lot of baggage that belongs to another covenant. But that's for another day, that talk. Um, my favourite subject, actually. <laughs> but anyway, that's for another day. Okay, so that's what they're not. Like apostles, they are appointed by the risen Christ, who said that, and their mandate is to build the church. And you can read a little bit further in the Ephesians 4 passage, you'll see a few more things that is said about what the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher do. They all have the same job description, interestingly, but they have different roles in that, and they bring it through a different, their own lens. But they all have the same job description. And so the prophet's job description is actually to build the local church. It's to bring the church to maturity. That's what the prophet's job description is to do. Now, some prophets, uh, this is my, my own teaching. Uh, I don't think I've ever read this. I'm, I'm convinced of this. Some prophets, I think there's, there's kind of probably two types of prophets. Some prophets will just focus on prophecy. They'll focus on prophecy, maybe spiritual gifts, life in the spirit. They're all about the Holy Spirit. Um, but what they do is they're creating a prophetic culture within a local church, which is a good thing to do. It's a great thing to do. Um, so some prophets, that's kind of as far as they go in their kind of ministry. 
I mean, sometimes they're quite, um, you know, I mean, I mean, when you say the word prophet, I don't know what you expect. You, sometimes you can expect, some, oh dear, the prophet's coming, I better sit at the back. They might, he might tell, or she might tell me something, men or women prophets, uh, they might tell me something I don't want everybody else to know. Um, you know, or they're going to read my credit card number <laughs> and tell everybody. I'm not like that, don't worry. Um, but, um, but some, pro you know, anyway. But some prophets, so they just focus on, on that sort of thing, but some are called to partner with apostles. So my, my, what I'm basically saying is I don't believe all prophets are called to partner with apostles, but I believe some prophets are. We can have that slide up now. Sorry that I made you take down earlier. So this is what Dave Devonish, in his book, there it is, Fathering Leaders, Motivating Mission, page 294. This is what he says, very helpful. He says, the role of foundation-laying prophets is to bring confirmation of the teaching of apostles. Ooh. In line with the biblical principle that everything should be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. It is this multi-witness revelation which is the foundation of the church. So there are prophets, but there also seem to be foundation-laying prophets. Which I think Dave is also alluding to in his Bible, in his book, by, by actually calling them that, by giving them a name. Um, and so, when we talk about apostolic and prophetic foundations, we're talking about um, prophets who are foundation-laying prophets. Okay, so not all prophets, but foundation-laying prophets. But here's the important thing: there is one foundation. There is not an apostolic foundation and a prophetic foundation, and that's a big common misconception. It's one foundation. One foundation laid by apostles and foundation-laying prophets. And then, I don't know how controversial you think this is, the other Ephesians 4 gifts build on this foundation. Okay? Because you lay a foundation, but then you do need the walls, you need the services, you need the roof, you need the rest of the building. And that's where the other Ephesians 4 gifts come in. So this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.10. Oh dear, I'm running out of time. I must speed up. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So Paul is saying, I laid the foundation, now others are building on it. That's actually okay. You expect to build on a foundation. It would be a bit strange if you laid a foundation and didn't build anything else. It's an unfinished building. So you start with the foundation, but you don't finish with the foundation. You then build the walls and the services and the roof and the doors and the windows and all of that. As you make this spiritual house, which is displaying the glory of God to the world. Because that's what the church is. To the display of the glory of the world. You know, it's, it's making a declaration to principalities and powers. It's the manifold wisdom of God. You are the manifold wisdom of God. You may not feel it. You may not feel the person next to you is. You are. <laughs> you are the manifold. Together, Trinity Church, you are the manifold wisdom of God. You're on display. Showing the glory of God in an ungodly world. So you build a foundation and then you build on it. Okay, so moving on. I just called this bit, it's a little bit, every church is built on a foundation. So, Paul tells the Ephesians they are members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So every church should be built on Jesus. I'm sure we'd all agree with that. I'd be very surprised if somebody didn't agree with that. 
But the foundation is laid by apostles and prophets. Now, here's the interesting thing, um, and I'm taking it directly from Dave's book. Paul does not say the church is simply built on what they taught, but founded upon the apostles and prophets themselves. And so a genuine relationship with the apostolic and prophetic is foundational to every church. I'm so pleased that you're giving money for Steve Oliver. That is an expression of your relationship with Steve. That's an expression of your appreciation of his apostolic ministry, of his role in founding the church. And that's true apostolic partnership. That's great. That speaks of something healthy here because there's obviously healthy relationship. It's great that you had Fousey with you, getting to know Fousey a little bit because the relationship with the apostolic and the prophetic is so important. Because it's more, than the, it's more than what you bring in the words. It's somehow, it's the, because the purse, the, the, the Ephesians 4, they're people gifts. So there's much between a prophet and prophecy. A prophecy is the gift, it's the act. You prophesy, say, you know, I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. You say, I feel God's saying this. And then you say something. That's prophecy, that's the gift. But when it comes to the prophet, it's not what the prophet says, it's the person, him or herself. They are the gift. And so with a person gift, you need a relationship with the person gift to genuinely receive it. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Because it's possible to build a church on foundations that are not biblical, which is what I found in Albania. It's possible to plant a church that doesn't challenge the surrounding culture. Now we're getting a bit, ooh, got to challenge the culture, have we? It's possible to build a church that just adds Christian ideas to an ungodly belief system. Let me read Dave Devonish again. It's fine, we'll get there. He says, If the foundation of a biblical worldview is not laid, the church is likely to find itself defaulting before long to the basic worldview of its cultural context. So, if a church doesn't have a biblical foundation, its foundation will reflect something from the surrounding culture. What could these be? Just a few thoughts. Not an exhaustive list. But you can build on tradition. What does it look like to build on tradition? Well, we've always done things like this. No, 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 we can't do it differently. We've always done things like this. Or we've always met there. We can't move somewhere else. We can't keep moving around. Be careful. It's easy to build on tradition. It's quite easy to quickly get traditions in churches. Just want to flag that one up. It's not just, you know, the big old church buildings that are the traditional churches. I tell you, some charismatic churches can become very traditional. What's another unbiblical foundation? Sentiment. We mustn't upset so-and-so. Now, I'm sure you don't have that here. I have seen it, not here, I have seen it in regions beyond. I have seen building with a little bit of sense. Oh, yeah, we can't do that because that, that will upset that leader. Dodgy ground, I think. We don't build on sentiment. What about another one? Building on cultural trends. Oh, we must try and be like our culture. If you have that as a philosophy, you're going to start building on unbiblically. Because our culture is not a biblical culture. Neither is any culture represented by any nation represented here. All cultures are actually um, uh, ungodly in the end because the world rejected God. The world turned, is in Adam. And so we've got to be careful. 
and, and I think it's a fine line. There's a line. It's a fine line. Sorry, I'm not going to knock anything up. It's a fine line to try and balance yourself with culture because sometimes you can oh, knock and push it all over. It's hard. Don't try and build on this fine line. Build biblically. Let God worry about the consequences of that. Just be careful with that one. Here's another one. You can build on a worldly management structure. I've seen this one emerging over the last 20 years. Let's learn from business. Let's get some businessmen to tell us how to, how to do things in the church. Let's get some good business advice. And let's have leaders who are managers, who can manage things. It's not in the Bible. Let's be corporate, have a corporate image. Everything will look really slick. Everything will look amazing. It's so funny. Sometimes younger leaders say, we're going to have amazing coffee. And they try their hardest to have amazing coffee. And then you see somebody coming in with a Costa cup. Well, we've got amazing. There's nothing like that. Go to Costa's. Go to Cafe Nero. Don't try and replicate the world. Let's look at the Bible and understand what's the biblical foundation here. I'm going to give it to you in a minute. What's the biblical foundation? We build like that. And apostles and prophets will help identify cultural issues and help to lay a biblical foundation. Okay, so we're moving on. This is our last point now, which is good. Which is going to land fairly soon. What are the apostolic and prophetic foundations of the church? That's what you're asking yourself. Okay, this is what Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, 17. That is why I sent you Timothy, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So Paul both models a way of life, which is really important. So apostolic prophetic foundation, they're not just things you teach from a pulpit. They're things you act out in your church. They're things you model. Okay? And so Steve would have modelled things with you, his ways. He's modelling something in the apostolic in the earlier days. We had the same with Fousey. Fousey actually spent three years in our church. He was amazing, wasn't it? Um, glorious years when I look back. Actually, there was all sorts of issues. but um, uh, They were glorious years, though. And, um, and, and, and he modelled something. And I picked something up. I understood something from Fousey. I learned something just by seeing his way of life and the way he honoured people, for instance. It was, I'd never seen anything like it. You know, British people just dishonour everybody. You know, ah, oh, forget that, forget that. You know, he's a bit brash. Oh, go on, suck it up, grow up. He honoured He honoured people. I learned. I just, I learned. I was just, I'm just a product of my culture. I've got to, I've got to get onto some biblical ground here and start to honour. I learned a lot from Fousey. So Paul models a way of life, and he teaches the same thing in every church. That's interesting, isn't it? So Paul went around teaching the same thing. So I think, if you follow Paul around, I don't think he's like what we are, where we come up with a new sermon every week, a new concept, a new idea, you know, got to throw out something new. He's going around preaching the same thing every week. Which is, and Timothy's listening and following him, and he's learning what Paul's preaching. So Paul can then send Timothy, and Timothy will perfectly represent Paul. But not just in what he teaches, but in his way of life. And therefore it should be possible to piece together those apostolic and prophetic foundations, what they are. Because a biblical foundation needs to be dynamically laid in every church in each generation. Okay? So to finish, 
Here is the very briefest summary, and it is a brief summary, of what a healthy biblical foundation looks like. Okay. Firstly, who we are in Christ by the grace of God. That is foundational. It includes an understanding of being born in Adam and placed in Christ. It includes an understanding of living under grace and freedom from the law. And that is more relevant than you think. It's about being accepted in Christ with no condemnation. What a great phrase. What a phrase the world is crying out for. No condemnation. It's the bit of the foundation that takes the longest to lay. Because there's the most to teach about. Okay, second thing. There's eight, okay. The church is a family. God's promise to Abraham to bless all the families on earth is fulfilled in Christ. And so the church is now God's new family. That's really important. Because sometimes younger leaders, they'll start adopting different language. They'll say, friends, friends this, friends that. It's like, no, we're more than friends. I know it's a trendy thing to say, friends. Actually, it's family, brothers and sisters. Sounds a bit old-fashioned. There's a reason why it was used. Okay, thirdly, the church as a community of the Spirit, okay? See, God's presence is not a feeling generated by good, good music. It's not about singing the latest songs. It's not even about raising your hands. It's a place where people are baptised in the Holy Spirit. They've been filled with the Spirit and their lives have been changed. Oh, I could go on about that one for ages, but I haven't got time. And it's where you display the presence of God through the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, I said this is a whistle-stop tour. Whistle tour. Fourth. Fourth foundation, a church devoted to God in worship and prayer. Church is a worshipping community, includes the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper that are regularly part of community life. And I don't know how else to say it, a house devoted to prayer. So we know what that means. Fifthly, a fifth foundation, anointed leadership operating in team. Okay? Church leadership is not decided according to worldly criteria. We don't promote the people who maybe the world promotes. We don't get their, their work CV and think, OK, that's good. Well, th they look like an elder because, you know, they've done this, they've done a management course, they understand this, they've done some training and counselling. Hey, let's have that. No, 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 no. Elders are appointed by the Holy Spirit. He's the one. And apostles recognise the emergence of elders, which is always plural, and lays hands on them to set them apart. Sixthly, a church committed to evangelism and world mission. See, churches need to have a mission-minded mentality, both locally, out there. You really should leaflet that area. Um, and to the ends of the earth. We need to hold the boat. It's great to see there. It's, it's here. London and the nations. I'm guessing London is your local. It's a big local. <laughs> um, and the nations. It's, we have to hold. We have to missionally think in both ways. And so apostles and prophets help catch churches up in world mission and helping them to reach the unreached peoples of the world. Like I said, an admiral of the fleet going to new lands. Okay, um, seventh foundation, a church committed to understanding the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is wherever the rule of Jesus extends to. So if the sick are healed, if the demonized are set free, the kingdom of God is expanding. And the kingdom includes care for the poor, the marginalised and the foreigner um, with an understanding this is one we really need to 
underline. Had I had more time, and this is the one I was going to bring to you particularly, but I don't have the time. And understanding that the scattered weekday church is a vital expression of the kingdom. So where you go tomorrow morning, where you are in your workplace, where you are in, at the school gate, where you are, whatever your sphere of influence, you are representing Christ, you're an ambassador of Christ, you're expanding the kingdom. Your integrity in the workplace is an expression of the kingdom of God. And then lastly, last foundation, a church with an understanding of suffering and persecution. This is an interesting one. I'm looking forward to writing a sermon on this because I haven't written a sermon on this and I feel this is so important. It's crucial that churches have a willingness to suffer for the name of Jesus. And we become comfortable letting culture dictate how far we can express our faith. I'm beginning to understand increasingly how in the West we have acquiesced to culture and we have allowed culture to box in Christianity and put it in an upper room as a private faith thing. You and Jesus, you on your own, your own morality, don't you dare bring it into the workplace. Brothers and sisters, we have the mandate to go and bring the kingdom of God where it is not yet established. That includes your workplace. That includes, this, that includes the financial centre of London. That includes the courts and the judicial system. It includes a huge area. And we need to bring that. And, and we've acquiesced. And we said we don't get persecution in this country. Well, it's because we acquiesce to culture. That's why we don't get it got a lot more to say on that can't say it now i haven't got time we've got to relearn how to daily take up our cross and challenge culture when paul planted churches he taught we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of god is that your reality okay my brief conclusion because I've, I've i've run through it here's a brief summary i just want to ask a few questions really if we ask the general leadership of the church here what are the foundations of unity what, what would you say? Would these things feature? And as people join you, how do you pick up these things so they become part of their story too? Because in the end, it's part of a, a biblical narrative. I recently went th through these with another church leader, and he rated how well he felt they were embedded in his church. I'm not going to give you his results. Out of ten. But his highest was seven and a half. His lowest was one. I was glad that he was honest. There's a lot of work to do on some of these for this leader. I'm guessing there's a lot of work for you to do on some of these. And I know there is in my church too. So which areas are you strong in and what needs strengthening? And how are you going to do that? Massive questions. So I'm going to leave you with all these questions. But I, I would, if I, you know, I just commend this to the elders and to the church and say, before God, look at this and ask God, what do we do with this? Okay.